Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Stephen Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today's show, we're talking about when should couples combine their portfolio. So this comes from a listener of the show who's either thinking about it for themselves or for a friend of theirs and thinking, hey, look, I've been with my partner for a, oh, a wee while. And now I'm thinking maybe it's time for us to combine our portfolios. When is it a good idea? When is it a bad idea? Now, Andrew, what's your starting point with this question? Should couples have a joint property portfolio? Well, let's get romantic for a moment. Why are you holding my hand so tightly? I thought you'd be more excited about this. I think you need to come from a standpoint that statistically, relationships are going to break up. Terrible, isn't it? But that's the reality. And the worst thing in the world is when two people break up and then they've got to split up their assets. So I'm not a huge fan of combining portfolios, particularly in the earlier years. And if you're coming into a relationship where you or both of you, for example, have properties, then maybe just bide your time a little bit. What are the pros of combining your portfolio? So let's say that you and I are in a relationship. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) And we come into it with a couple of properties each. What are the benefits of us combining our portfolios? Well, I guess the advantage is we've got more usable equity by doing that. Other than that, there's not a huge lot of pros. What would that example be if we have more usable equity well, and we so- combine it compared to keeping them separate? I suppose we can both do things individually and we can access our usable equity separately and then combine that if we want to, if we want to invest together. But sometimes what you might be able to do as a couple is buy a more expensive property together than you can do individually. But couldn't you just do that separately anyway? So let's say that you've got 100k of usable equity and I've got 100k of usable equity. We haven't combined our portfolios at this moment and we want to go buy a million dollar property. Yeah, no, you could do that. We could just both put in the deposits separately and invest together going forward. What, do you not think we're going to be together forever yet? Probably not, Andrew, with your salty attitude. But give us an example where it would be appropriate to combine finances and have a joint portfolio. Okay, so say a couple starting out, Bob and Judy, they want to buy an investment property. Now they're leveraging off their family home. So they're already married, they already have a family home, then it's appropriate for the next purchase to be joint. Why? Because they own a joint asset, they're going to leverage off that, and they're using their collective incomes to buy together. Okay, so that makes sense because they've already bought a house together. They're going to leverage off this joint asset. They're already living together and they're going to go purchase the investment together. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because they're going to need both incomes. But give us an example where it wouldn't be appropriate for couples to combine their finances, have a joint portfolio. Okay, let's take a couple, Steve and Simon. They've got two properties each and they're coming into a relationship and they want to buy a house together and some investment properties. Now, I think get a relationship property agreement in place, draw a line in the sand of what's pre-relationship and what's combined. So keep the two investment properties that they've each got separate. So Simon's two are his, Steve's two are his. And if they want to buy a property together, take the deposit, whatever they can put towards the deposit, out of those existing assets, put the money into a joint bank account, and then own any future properties jointly. So You put all your collective deposit into the main house, the owner-occupied, and then you leverage off that to buy investments, borrow 100% on that, but those would all be combined. And so Steve and Simon's two properties each that they had prior to the relationship, even if the relationship broke down, Steve would still have his two, no questions asked. Same with Simon, even if the values were different because they 
came in already owning those two. Where it can get a bit more challenging is, say Steve started investing a little bit later and he doesn't have as much usable equity and can only afford to put in, say, a third of the deposit for their new owner-occupied, then you might have to have an agreement as how that money's treated in the event of a separation. Now, I do want to talk about not just properties, but also the wider financial situation. And one you really want to think about are incomes as well. So I'm going to stick with Steve and Simon in this situation. So let's say that they both start putting their incomes into the same account. So if they're both salaried workers or they earn wages, both start putting it into the same account. Those incomes are now going to be considered relationship property. So if they then break up and we're going to say, Steve, he's earning way more than Simon. Well, Steve, who's earning more, could be on the hook for spousal maintenance. Now, what that means, and I'd recommend getting some legal advice about this, but Steve may have to share some of his income with Simon even after they break up so Simon can still maintain ballpark his lifestyle that he was used to while they were together. And so in a relationship property agreement, what you'd often want to do is define your income as your personal asset as opposed to relationship property. And I'll tell you this, I had a friend, can't say who it is, and I remember him telling me how he had a verbal agreement with his partner at the time that whatever they came in with, they would then take out themselves if they ever were to split up. Now, this was a verbal agreement. It no, wasn't not written down. Not written down, was not a legal agreement. Well, it didn't work out that way because after that relationship separated, no, 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 we didn't have that agreement. You're the one who wants to leave, so I am going to take what I am legally entitled to because we didn't have another legal agreement in place. And I often think about relationship property agreements and sorting this kind of thing out as a bit like an umbrella. So let's say that... I love your analogies at the moment. Balloon, oh, umbrella. Oh, I love them. So let's say that you're driving along somewhere and you stop and you get out of your car and it's pissing down with rain. Well, it's too late to get an umbrella, too late to go to the dairy and get one. You've got to get out of your car. You're going to get wet. You see, you need to buy an umbrella before it starts raining. Why? Because otherwise you are going to get wet. And I think that's the same with a relationship property agreement. You need a relationship property agreement in place before things turn the other way, before things go bad. And you will, in all relationships, have tough times. And statistically, about half of relationships will end up going the wrong way, unfortunately. Not last until uh, death. That's why the... Well, that's why the title of this episode is Till Divorce Do Us Part. Oh, that's good. Because unfortunately for at least half of the country, well, it's probably even more given the fact that I think about 70% of marriages these days last, but that's because so few people actually get married or you wait until you are very certain about the other person. And so because of that, I do think this is very important. And Andrew, talk to us about the lovely podcast listeners we just met the other day. Ed and I met some podcast listeners not so long ago, and they were talking about the fact that they'd recently met. How long have they been together? 18 months. And they both had separate investments, and now they're thinking about buying an owner-occupier or an investment together and wondered what our views are on relationship property agreements. Now, we love them. <laughs> we're all about them. And one of the partners in that relationship had suggested it. The other said, what, you don't think we're going to be together forever? Obviously, no one is in a relationship expecting to break up, 
But look, it's, it's like it is, it's the umbrella or the insurance policy because you know what? If you do break up, wouldn't it be better just to have something in writing so that you all know what the terms of engagement are and that you can still remain friends? Well, I just think as well, the people who say, oh, so you don't think this is going to last forever, what they miss out on is, well, if this does last forever, the relationship property agreement doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. So let's stick on this combining the bank accounts, Andrew, because we've kind of dealt with the fact that if you are going to invest together and you come into a relationship with properties, in our view, the way you'd approach this is you would put an agreement in place that you would ring fence the existing properties that are already owned and then leverage off those to purchase properties together. But how early is it to combine your bank accounts? At what point in a relationship would you start combining that? Do you know, I work with some investors who are probably in their 60s and they still don't have joint bank accounts. They have their income go into their respective accounts and they put a equal amount, I think, into their joint account, which pays their mortgage. These guys have been married for like 35 years. So with that couple, though, have they ever gone down to a one-income household? I'm sure they did when they had kids. They got two kids. Oh, so they have, because the interesting thing in that situation, would you and I are in a relationship now. Here we go again. <laughs> and we decide that we're going to adopt a baby. Yeah. And then I decide I'm going to stay at home with the kids. Of course, yeah. But you're now the one with all the money. Yeah, that's right. Wouldn't I want that to go into a joint bank account? Yeah, I suppose you probably would, and that's probably a conversation that you have, but I think that- We're having it now, Andrew Nichol. <laughs> <laughs> this is why no one wants to stay in a relationship with you. So I guess it's case by case. I don't know what they did in that situation. I can ring them and ask them at some stage for you. But I think that so long as the main bills were being paid for by the house, it, it didn't really matter. But okay, so let me give you my example of what we've got at home. So Lauren's obviously not working. She's raising our child. So what I do is I put half of my pay into our joint bank account, and that is subject to relationship property. That money pays our bills. and you know, any expenses that we have, and the other half is not subject to relationship property agreement. But the important thing is you both want to get separate legal advice around this so that it stands up in court. Yeah, and actually we were talking about a friend of mine the other day who didn't get the right advice when they set up a relationship property agreement. This is a terrible story. Oh, a terrible story. So he bought a property with his then wife. They put in different amounts for their deposits. The agreement was that they would separate and take their deposits out and split the profits 50-50. What happened was they went and got a relationship property agreement drawn up by a lawyer friend of theirs. They did not get independent legal advice and therefore it would not have stood up in court. And then when they separated, the partner that was leaving, his wife, then demanded half of everything. Oh, such that a tough situation. Now, one of the things though, because we are so big on relationship property agreements though, is that sometimes you start a relationship and, of course, it takes a while to figure out how it's going to go. Would you not agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm always interested in Ed's advice for relationships. <laughs> Follow for me for more relationship <laughs> advice. So honestly, he's had six months of a good relationship and he's Dr. Phil now. And one of the issues is you put a relationship property agreement in place and then you get married or then it becomes more serious and you start to have children. And what you'd agreed in that RPA, Relationship Property Agreement, may no longer be appropriate. So one clause that is often in there, at least from my personal experience, is you might say, cool, we will review this every five years. Or 
if there is marriage or children, whichever comes first. And that just means that if you do go down to one income or the relationship becomes even more serious than it currently is, that you can review that. That gives a bit of comfort both sides. But Andrew, what's your experience with relationship property agreements and split-ups and combining situations? If you don't have a relationship property agreement in place, you expose yourself for an argument. And if you want to maintain any kind of relationship, friendship or otherwise, after a breakup and you don't have an amicable breakup, you open yourself up for all sorts of disaster. I think the main question for anybody who's thinking about this is, when do you want to have the conversation about how your assets will be split? Is it when you're in a happy relationship and, yep, oh, it's a bit awkward. Oh, it's a bit awkward to have this conversation because, oh, you kind of entertain the idea that it might end one day. But would you rather it then or when things have already gone septic or potentially gone septic and you're having to split the assets up? How hey, you probably want it when it's a little bit more theoretical. Do it on your first date. Well, I always do. (laughs) Slip it it, it about 25 minutes in. But look, I think my main point is I would not be in a hurry to combine my financial situation with somebody else's unless they're significantly better (laughs) off than me. Uh. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you're thinking about your financial situation into the future and are thinking about some planning, then you might like to use our tool, My Wealth Plan. Now, this is going to help you set some goals for the future, see whether you're on track for that comfortable retirement you're after. Easy way to play around with this. It's free. Go to mywealthplan.opuspartners.co.nz. The link's down in the show notes. Tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find it in there. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed Knight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 